Some of us are old enough to remember back the time before caller ID. Remember those times? Back before there were even touch-tone phones. There were just those rotary phones that took forever to go around. I don't know if you're back in those days in my house, we had one phone in the kitchen that had, had a phone cord on it that would probably reach 30 feet. You could carry it way down the hallway and around into the living room so you could get some privacy to talk on the phone. But remember back in those days, I, I can remember being away at college or at seminary and you'd call home and somebody would answer the phone on the other end and, and they'd say hello and already you knew exactly who it was. Or it was mom or it was dad or it was little sister or whatever and you could just simply say, well, hey, how are you? And, they'd, and, they'd, and without ever introducing yourself, just immediately they'd say, oh, hi, Neil, how you doing? Kind of thing. Or it's your husband or would call from work or you would, your, your spouse would ever call you from work or a parent or whatever would call the house and, and just with a couple of words, you'd be able to tell immediately who it was. We call that voice recognition, don't we? That somehow or another, just the way that we say words has its own character, and that is that character of our speech, our tone and our inflection and our accents and just our nasaliness and all these kinds of other things. It gives our voice this, this very distinct character, and those who know it well can hear it right away and know who it is. Do we have that same sense of voice recognition with the voice of God when he speaks to us? That's the question I'd really like to explore today. You know, we've kind of had a theme verse for this series that we've been in, which we've entitled Look and Listen. How is it that you and I can actually hear God speaking to us and see his activity, see his presence around us in such a way that we can actually engage in the mission and the life that God's called us to be, that we can walk with him. We've had this theme verse from John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. How is it that we can recognize the voice of God when it speaks? Because if we don't have that recognition, we don't really know who's talking and whether we should believe it or buy into it or, or what should we do, right? My wife was telling me the other day she was out to dinner with a few friends and the next day she got a text message and it said, I enjoyed our time. You know, I'd like to do it again soon kind of thing. And all, and, and all it was was a phone number. So that she must not have had that cell phone number in her contacts list. So no name came up with it. And she's like replying back, who is this? <laughs> you know, I know I had dinner with you, but I don't know which one of you, who it is kind of idea. When you, know, when you don't know who it is, you're just kind of lost as to where it's coming from. And what I want to try to share with you today are some things that will help us develop some voice recognition, primarily as God speaks to us in our lives through the Holy Spirit, which I believe is the primary voice of God outside of the scriptures that you and I hear from God. And I want to turn you to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, his first letter to the church at Corinth, the second chapter. If, you have, you want to, if you're going to be using one of our pew Bibles this morning, I, you're going to find our text on page 970. You'll find those Bibles right underneath the seat in front of you. But we're going to be in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, and down through the end of the chapter. And I, I want to use this text as a way to establish how it is that God communicates to us by His Spirit, at least the normative manner in which God speaks to us by His Spirit, And then once we've laid that foundation to back up and say, well, in that context of how he speaks, how can we tell what his voice, how do we get that voice recognition, understanding the character of God's voice as he speaks? Let me read these verses for you. 
and then try to kind of build a case. Now, he's been talking beforehand. In this whole section, Paul's talking about the foundation of his message. That he hasn't come with worldly wisdom, with, with you know, all of the, the, um, the, the characteristics and the, and, the, and the impressiveness of oratory skills of the day. But he's come simply with the wisdom that God has given, that God has revealed. And in verse 9, he said that God has prepared what, he says, what no man has seen and no ear has heard, and what has never come into a man's heart is what God has prepared for those who love him. And he says, well, how do you hear those things? Now, God has revealed them to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the concerns of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? Some of your translations may, may actually be a little clearer to us. And it says, for who among Man knows the thoughts of a man, except the spirits, spirit of the man that is in him. In the same way, no one knows the concerns of God, except the spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, in order to know what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the natural man does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit, because it's foolishness to him. He is not able to know it since it is evaluated as spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything. Yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For, for who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now Paul's made a reference here to these wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. And that's a very all-encompassing kind of idea. Not only experiences here on earth, but things for eternity, mission, impact, all that kind of stuff. And he said, and the way that you and I learn of those things is by the Spirit of God. So he seeks to answer the question, well, how is it that the Spirit of God is actually qualified to know those things so that he can share them with us? And he uses our own experience as an example. He said the Spirit of God, and the word here when he says he searches all things, it's almost like the, it's a better idea to think of the Spirit of God permeates everything that's divine. That the Spirit of God is, is, is present in everything that's going on in the Godhead. So he's got a full grip on what God is, on who God is. And, and just like the Spirit of a person knows everything that's going on. All of us have had those moments He said, I'm glad nobody can read my mind. Haven't you had those kind of moments? You know, the, you know, you're thinking, you know, you think, how could I ever think that? What is matter with me? You know, kind of idea. You think, I'm glad that nobody can read my mind. But, but your own spirit knows what's going on inside. You may be able to hide it, you know, behind your, your face and inside your skin, but, but you know what's going on. The spirit, the essence of a person knows what's going on in the heart and the mind. And, and and it's the same with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows everything that's going on in the heart and mind of God. And let me see if I can try to make this transcript. So he said, this Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, communicates those things to us. And the way that we're able to experience those things or learn those things or understand those things, to hear those things, is because God's Spirit's within us. But the natural man, the person who doesn't have the Spirit, he's not able to understand these things because all he's got is he doesn't have, the, and there's two different words in here for Spirit that's being used throughout this text. He doesn't have the, 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 the divine kind of life-giving Spirit. He just has the, literally like the animal Spirit. And the Spirit of God can't communicate those things to the Spirit of a man that's in its natural state. So he doesn't understand spiritual things. It goes right on by him, and it's oblivious to him. Now, I want to back out a little bit and try to make this case to you. 
that when the Spirit of God enters our lives through our faith in Jesus Christ, in, in the book of Romans and in several places in the New Testament, the Scripture clearly teaches that if you do not have the Spirit of God within you, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not a child of God. But if you have had a life, if you have given your life to Christ by placing your faith in Him, you've made a personal, specific, and intentional choice to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've placed your faith in Him, the Scripture says that the Spirit of God takes up residence within you. And it's because you have the Spirit of God within you that you are a child of God. And somehow in that transaction, the, the spirit of a man is renovated. It's transformed. It's, it's renewed. It's given a, a new life. It's almost like the image of God has been kind of restored within it. And now the spirit of God and the spirit of the man can talk to one another. And, and one of the things I want to suggest to you out of this text this morning, stronger than suggest, the thing I want to say to you is that the primary place where the Holy Spirit speaks to us in our lives is down in the inner workings of our lives, inside the place where the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the man interact with one another, this renewed spirit. So all of this chatter that's going on underneath the surface, stuff that maybe you aren't even, can't articulate clearly, Maybe sometimes it just seems like it's big. That's the place where the Spirit of God speaks to us. As the Spirit of God speaks to this renovated, this renewed spirit of the spiritual man. God speaks to us. How did I put it here in your introduction? The normative manner, and I managed to add that word. The normative manner in which the Holy Spirit communicates the things of God to us makes it imperative to us that we develop clear recognition of the Spirit's voice as He speaks to the redeemed in the inner person. There's much that God may be communicating to us and calling us to act on, to know, and to to incarnate in our lives, but if we can't recognize the voice of God, it just looks like another cell phone number on the screen, and we have no idea where the text is coming from. And we don't get that response. And so I want to try to answer the question. If, if somehow down underneath the surface we hear the voice of God speaking to us, how is it that you and I come to recognize the voice of God? How do we develop that voice recognition? And what I want to submit to you, after chasing a couple of rabbits here in just a minute, but what I want to suggest to you is that on, a, on, a, on our physical level, we come to have voice recognition by the, the character of the voice. On a spiritual level, we come to recognize the voice of God by the character of the content that we hear from God. And I want to talk about those things. But I want to make a couple things clear before we get going. And one of those is, clearly, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, communicates in other ways than just by God's Spirit to our spirit. God does speak in other ways. I don't mean, when I say that the Spirit speaks the normative manner, the most common manner, is that He speaks from he speaks directly to our spirit and in our minds and, and kind of the inner person. I, I fully believe that. But then also, the Bible clearly reveals that the Holy Spirit speaks by other means. Every once in a while, like when a group of Christians are gathered together like they were at the church of Antioch, the Spirit of God just speaks and says, set apart from me, Paul and Barnabas. And it's just a clear voice that speaks. Or sometimes when you're trying to take an afternoon nap, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're having this vision up on the rooftop and... The Spirit of God is saying, take, eat, take, kill, and eat. You know, what I have made is clean, as he did to Peter, as he prepared him to go and share the good news to Cornelius. Sometimes the Spirit of God just speaks. I mean, I think I've told you the story, but when we were in Rwanda last February, um, we had a chance to meet a, a, a fairly young man, I'd say, a, you know, a, a young adult, um, whose, whose dad had, was from, um, from uh, the Congo, and, you know, this was back in the late 1930s, early 1940s. 
Africa, in that part of Africa, was still a very um, primitive place. And he was from the hill country, and he was just a shepherd of a goat herd. And his job, he would be out, literally out on the, on the, the mountainside at night, watching over his sheep, over his uh, goats. And, 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 and uh, the guy we met, his name was the Apostle Paul, and his father was, was the person he was telling the story. And he just, in the middle of the night, heard a voice that says, you will shepherd my people. You will shepherd my people. And he, and he heard that for like a two-week period, and he had no idea what to make of it. And then finally, in the middle, he heard a voice that says, go and find the white man. They will tell you what I mean. And he, and, he, and he gave his goat herd back, if you will, and he went searching, and, and he traveled for over three days. It was about ready to turn around and go back before he encountered the white man who told him about Jesus Christ and about a Holy Spirit who speaks in the middle of the night and says, you will be a shepherd to my people. The Holy Spirit speaks in other ways than just by from the inner workings of our heart and minds, but, but the primary way in which he speaks to us on an ongoing basis in our lives is directly to our spirit. And we need to learn how to listen to the character of that voice as it speaks into our lives. I also want to say... And make it clear that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also communicates to unbelievers. We've read a text here in 1 Corinthians 2 that seems to indicate, and it does indicate, that there's much about the things of God that a person without faith in Christ is never going to understand. There are spiritual things communicated through spiritual words, and only the, only the spiritual man can, can, what's the word that he used here? Evaluate them, can judge them, can understand what those things mean, and can comprehend them into their lives. But that does not mean that the Spirit of God does not speak into the lives of unbelievers. But I will tell you, using the same idea of having voice recognition of the Spirit based upon the character of the content that the Spirit shares, that for the unbeliever, the primary content that they get is conviction. We read in John's Gospel, the 16th chapter, and I've listed the reference for you there in your sermon outlines. In John chapter 16, and I'm sorry, I did not look up this page number in your, in your pew Bible, so if somebody has that, they can call that out for, for us. 917, thank you. You're even faster than me getting there. Look at that. <sighs> it was wrong? All right, good. John, six, John chapter 16, verse 8. Jesus here in this whole chapter, at the beginning of the chapter, is talking about the coming of the, the paraclete, the, the one who's going to come alongside believers in, in place of him in his world. And he says in verse 8, and it says, when he comes, he will convict the world. He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. One of the messages that the Holy Spirit is consistently sharing with unbelievers, bringing a spirit of conviction upon them, is that whatever is not from faith is sin. That unbelief, the rejection of Christ as a Son of God is the source of all unrighteousness in their lives. He's also going to convict them about righteousness. because because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And, and here really the idea is that righteousness is really being used in the sense that Paul uses it in the book of Romans. And for those of you who were out to First Friday a couple of weeks ago, you know, we looked at the fact that righteousness in that, in that book is, is primarily used to describe the activity of God by, the, by which he took that which was unjust and declared it just or right before God and didn't violate any standards of God's righteousness in getting that done. He's talking about the, the work of Jesus Christ and offering up atonement so that all of us could be declared holy or righteous in the eyes of God. And that the work of the Spirit, is that, as it works in the lives of unbelievers, communicates this message that, that 
there's only one way that I can stand right with God, and that's to stand in Jesus Christ. And he also says that he convicts the world about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged already. I think primarily what he's really referring to, the fact that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ signifies that Jesus has conquered death, which is Satan's cl- cl- claim or judgment over mankind because it symbolizes eternal death and that those bonds have been broken and the day of judgment awaits. So the Spirit speaks in many different ways, but, but in its normative, most common, most frequent expression, the Spirit of God communicates with the, with the renewed, revitalized Spirit of man within us. And, and we recognize that voice not by the character of the sound, but by the character of the content. And, and really, we could go on here a lot about this. But, but I, I want to make it, there, there's lots of things that we could say about, but I want to try to break it down into some big categories. Now, folks, let me remind you why we're talking about this stuff. It says, my sheep, hear my voice and follow me. Now, if you can't hear his voice, how hard is it to follow him? It's kind of like trying to put together something that's got 5,000 pieces and you don't want to w- w- use the directions. You, you just might have like 1,000 pieces left when you get done. It might know, you know, I'm being facetious, but you understand. I mean, it is absolutely imperative that we have an incredibly high skill set at being able to recognize the voice of God when it speaks to us in our lives as the Spirit of God speaks to us. And, and so I want to give you three categories. So you, and, and I'm hoping this will just kind of launch a learning journey for you as you go forward. And, and the very first thing I want to say, the, the, the bells ought to start ringing, you know, the, the lights ought to start going off when you sense that you're finally beginning to understand what the Scriptures are really teaching. Because the primary task of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth. And so when we begin to understand what the Scripture means, not only in its content, but in its application to our lives, the Spirit is talking to us. Reading just a little further down in John's Gospel, the 16th verse chapter, which we just read a couple of minutes ago, the, Jesus says to His disciples, says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own. He's not going to make stuff up on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He's going to speak the word of God when it's finally written. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So so when you and I get it, we should recognize the voice of God speaking to us. Now, sometimes that's in the sense of, of understanding. You know, when, when we finally understand what a, what, what a passage means, when we read a passage like we kind of ended last week, when it says, you know, so if you live by the Spirit, you should also walk by the Spirit. Well, well what does that mean? And when we finally, finally figure out that that means don't quench the Spirit of God, but as you were reborn by faith, live by faith, live in, in partnership with the Spirit, not resisting or, or, or replacing it in our lives. And, and you can go back and, and listen to that, that sermon last week. You can get it on our, on our website. But when we finally get what that means theologically, what, G, what God meant when He spoke it through the Apostle Paul, it's the Spirit of God speaking to us. It's the voice of God teaching us. And when we have those moments when we not only understand, but we also we begin to apply it, how it's applicable to our lives, that's the Spirit speaking. You know, sometimes, you, 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 you know, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't have these moments, and, and, but I'm, I'm hoping you do. You know, you're in a context where you're at home and you're out in your neighborhood or you're, you're, you're at work or you're at a family gathering and, you know, and, and all of a sudden it says, that's what that verse means, you know, turn the other cheek. Now I know what he meant. You know, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now I get what he means. 
Or you look at a circumstance and, and, you, and, and you understand. Now I know why the scripture said, tells us to flee evil and to abhor evil. And it's, now I get it. That's the spirit of God speaking to you, teaching you the word of God. And, and when you have that going on inside, you need to say, bingo, that's the spirit. And begin to understand what that sounds like and feels like when we finally can understand what it means like, when, by, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's the Spirit of God speaking to us and making it clear. So not only does the Spirit of God teach us what the Scriptures mean, but the Holy Spirit also affirms that you are a child of God. Look at this quote from Galatians. And, and this, you could pick up the same thing in Romans chapter 8. And there's other places where Paul talks about it. It says, it says, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son. He sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And what's the Holy Spirit supposed to cry out? Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The voice of the Spirit inside of us is just crying out to us, you matter to God. You are a child of God. The, the tension here is that God is great, right? And we have a tendency to be intimidated by things that are great. And so we, we retract. And God has sent His Spirit into, his, uh, into our lives, trying to communicate to us that we are absolutely priceless to God because we have been adopted into His family. When one of my nieces was a young preschooler, like, you know, one, one and a half, two, two and a half kind of idea. Back in those days, I used to have a big mustache. And, you know, you guys know me as kind of a meek and timid person, but I can be kind of loud and boisterous at times and, and um, just waiting for the giggles to come. There we go. Get those out of the way. And, and so we go to family gatherings and we're messing around and my boys are a little older and they're wanting to wrestle and do all this kind of stuff. And and my, my niece wouldn't come to me at all. I mean, she, actually, if she got within 10 feet, she'd start crying, you know? And, and there's a, some senses that's kind of the reaction we have to God, you know? Now, she was afraid of me because I'm ugly, you know? We stay away from God because he's great. But God has sent the Spirit, his Spirit into us to say, there's no reason to be afraid. Get closer. There's no reason to be afraid. Get closer. And, and the foundation that Paul is using here when he speaks about adoption as, his, as the children of God was very powerful to the Romans. They, the Roman culture was such that, that a Roman father maintained authority over all of his children until he died. Didn't make any difference if they were 93 and they were 80, you know, they were 78. He was still in charge of them, you know. And that's just the way it went. And so with that absolute paternal authority, it was extremely difficult at times. But they had a very elaborate process by which one child could be adopted out of one family into another. And they would call a big gathering kind of in the, the square and the child would be kind of brought out. And, and they would, they would um, if you will, set a, a weight that the child, you know, what had to be paid in copper coins to, to redeem the child. And so they would determine the weight and they would put that weight on the far side and the father would, the biological father would weigh out all the copper coins and balance it and would redeem his child. And they would do it a second time. But then the third time, the father wouldn't put out the copper coins. They went through this ritual every time they went through an adoption. And so when they didn't put out the coins the last time, it was a symbol that the father didn't, didn't want to redeem the child and the child was free. And then the adopting father could go and make a case in the law courts to adopt the child. And when it was approved by the magistrate, he was, he literally became, and it was interesting that the the legal cases said that, that the child lost every and all claims to his original family. So if his father 
won the lottery, the biological father won the lottery the next day. That was it. You were out. But in our case, that's a good thing because we were sold into slavery, to sin. We've been redeemed from that, bought back from that, set free from that family. It has no claim to us anymore. Secondly, you were made an absolute heir of all that your new father had. Didn't make any difference how many children he had. You had equal standing with all of them, and there was nothing that anybody could do about that. In fact, to be absolutely certain that nothing would... would could, there was always seven witnesses when the, child was, when the person was brought into the family. So there could be absolutely no doubt that it was valid. Powerful stuff. And then with that, every aspect of the former life, every debt, every allegiance every alliance, every contract, anything that they'd ever done while they were part of the old family was totally wiped out, was legally invalid, and they were free to start all over again as a new child. That's what God's trying to communicate to you by the Spirit. Just a little example. When, when the voice of God speaks to your spirit and he's saying, you are governed by your future, not by your past. It's the Spirit of God speaking. And I'll leave it there. Lastly, the Holy Spirit also equips us to be effective in the family business. You've been, you've been adopted into the family of God. What's the family business? Redeem the world. And, and the Holy Spirit speaks to our renewed or revitalized inner spirit and allows us to play in that role. It tells us what to say in order to give an explanation to our faith in Jesus Christ. I quoted here from Luke's gospel, the 11th and 12th verses. He says, whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. The Holy Spirit will tell us what to say about Jesus. You know what? I, I think this is one of those places where a lot of folks don't have near the experiences they should because we're, we're afraid to open up our mouths to give an explanation to our faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know what to say. You know, sometimes you just have to start talking and then just see what the Spirit gives you. It's a scary thing. You know, but there have been times in, in my journey I can remember where in the world did that come from? You know, whether you're a couple times I've had to visit with people in the hospital who have tried to commit suicide. I don't care how long you've been doing my job. You have no idea what to say when you walk in that room. And there have been times I've walked out and I said, where did that come from? Thank you, Lord. There have been times I've been meeting with, with a marriage, uh, you know, a couple that's their marriage isn't doing so well. And, you know, and, and, you're, and, and, you're, you know, and, and they're talking about various dynamics in their relationship. And you're thinking, how do I talk? And, and you just, you know, and then it goes silent. And you, don't, you just got to say something, you know, and, and, and you just you start talking. And it's like, that turned out to be really helpful. Where did that come from? And it's just a spirit thing. Speaking, I mean, I remember one time, you know, and that, they, they, you know, they're talking about, you know, just the dynamics of their relationship and how do they, you know, work on it. And I said, you know, and, and, and he was like, you know, well, you know, we work on our marriage. Thing. You know, we went on vacation together back in August and da, 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 and that kind of stuff, you know. And, and you know, I'm thinking, you know, so I just I said, you know, listen, you know, you, you got to understand for men, a lot of times they look at marriage, it's a lot like painting a house, you know. Once you get the job done, you shouldn't have to touch it again for a couple of years, right? You know, you work on it for a while, you're done, right? The job's done. For women, working on a marriage is a lot like house cleaning. You got to do it every single day. Or it's just going to get dusty, you know? And, and, and the guy's like, I never thought of it that way before, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, neither have I, you know? <laughs> you know? It's, it's, it's just a spirit thing, you know? It's just a spirit. And, and I tell you, and, until you just kind of open your mouth, and so it, at times, we've got to step, because part of the role of the spirit is to give you words. And I tell you what, if you're at work sometime or, or you're taking a walk in your neighborhood, walking your dog or whatever, and you have a chance to bear witness and, and you have one of those moments like, I don't know where that came from. I've never, ever put it that way. I've never expressed it that way before. Go home and write it in your journal. 
So you'll remember that the voice of God is speaking to you. See, the way you and I recognize the voice of God speaking to us isn't by the character of the, of the voice, but it's the character of the content. It's seeking to teach us the truths of the Word of God and how they apply to our lives. It's trying to teach us who we are in Christ so that we have this high standing this affirmation that we truly are the child of God and how we can be efficient and effective at the family business, which is to make a difference for others. Perhaps a way to summarize it is that the Word of God, that the Spirit of God is always trying to communicate to us just how much we matter to God and just how much God can mean to our everyday lives. Have you heard His voice? Are you hearing His voice? Do you want to hear His voice? Let's pray together. Father, make the prayer of Samuel our prayer. When he said on that night that you came to him and anointed him as your prophet, he said to you, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God, speak to us, we pray, as we listen to you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing a conclusion?